Wow. <laughs> nice. Yeah. All right, so this this was another exciting one. <laughs> yeah, a little redundant, but you know, yeah. it was interesting. It was. Uh, I don't know how far you got through it. I got like forty pages or so. I got through it. Wow. I got through it. Yeah. Okay. Been, I assume it didn't really change because when I started no. looking up summaries, it seemed like after you read the, the first three yes. chapters, you get like, okay, That's I see where this is going. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, I'll be honest. I skimmed a bit of it because it, nice. it's like it was basically the same point over and over again. So we're talking about uh, we're doing we're starting John Locke and we're starting yep. with the two treatises of government and specifically we're gonna do the first treatise, right? And, which is basically a refutation of the divine rights of kings. Yes, and specifically, what is it? Robert Filmer's Patriarcha, mm -hmm. which is uh, apparently the at at least John Locke's time the most uh, cogent argument for the divine right of kings. Right. So yeah, just wanted to get that out there. <laughs> for the people. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, yeah, that seems right. And and um, it seems like a lot of um, John Locke's refutation has to do with um, Filmer's basis of the divine right of kings having to do with, uh, you know, going all the way back to Adam and right the the biblical relationship of Adam to the world and then Moses sort of by extension right I mean that's or not basically Moses I mean wait no no, no. Noah A Abraham A Noah all of yeah. them Moses yeah I mean all of them right yeah I mean uh, yeah that's basically the crux of it is Filmer is using Adam as the first king and right. then all kingliness flows from him and sort of filmer i guess talks about like a private uh and natural uh natural dominion and a pro uh what is it property dominion uh, natural mm -hmm. and private dominion right right which is just the idea that you know god gave adam the ability to control everything right. under the sun all mm -hmm. the all the creatures and this and that also uh, there's a fatherly like authority that right. everybody has because you know Eve came from Adam right. and all that kind of stuff, yeah. and thus the most sort of supreme rule is the fatherly rule, and because he was the first father, mm -hmm. and because God gave him dominion over the world, this uh, means that all of his descendants are. Kings, but then this is where it like, you know, this is, the, I mean, it quickly just, Locke, the funny thing about reading this is because it's like, John Locke is just, he's just using logic to right. like, te te and this is why it's so repetitive and kind of difficult to read, because he goes through every single, like, right. uh, quarter of Filmer's argument, and he's like, well, if this is true, then this will contradict, because it's like, well, if everybody was granted dominion, then everybody's a king. Right. But if only one person was granted dominion of like the heir of Adam, then that means that we need to figure out who the heir is. This is basically what the last chapter right. is about. And yeah. we have no way of knowing who the heir is. And he goes right. through all these other examples. I mean, you brought up Noah, and that's the point is like apparently Noah split the world into three and gave it to his three sons. But like mm -hmm. which of those three sons then would be the the supreme leader? 
Um, And we have no way of tracing back even to that. And then, you know, so it's just, it's obviously all just stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But it's interesting that it's like, you have to remember, it's like, so this was, he wrote this in what, like 1690 or something. It came out around then. It basically came out right after the bloodless revolution Mm -hmm. um, in England, which established the constitutional monarchy and and uh brought in what is his name william of the orange oh, from yeah, the, the netherlands the, the dutch guy the dutch guy yeah. and and mary william mm-hmm. and mary which is right. where the college gets its name right uh in in virginia um it brought them over and supplanted the 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 guy that was there i can't remember his name <laughs> but uh um but who was more of you know a, along the lines of the supreme monarch and and wasn't didn't want parliamentary rule and wanted right. more you know absolute rule and so there were a lot of people that were arguing for that style at this time this was you know mm-hmm. so he was Locke was very much going against the grain right. in probably doing this and also just kind of showing how people can just apply common sense to a lot of these arguments. Um, and I wonder if when John Locke was writing all this, if he wasn't just thinking like, I can't believe I have to use logic on this. Cause like the basis of the argument is in some sense, kind mm-hmm. of a silly story that we're not even sure if it's true. I mean, it's right. not, a, you know what I mean? It's like, it's obviously an important story historically, but mm-hmm. like nobody knows if that, you know, <laughs> if Adam and Eve actually existed right. and yet they're like building this whole right. rational basis off of this story. So it's, but isn't it's, his whole yeah. point that he very vehemently does believe it and he's coming he at it does, from the this, perspective of yes. belief in the story. But I always wonder about that kind of stuff of how much, yeah. They actually believe that and how much they just ha- I mean right. it happens today. It's like there's a lot of people that will say things <coughs> you know <laughs> which is only like half truths of what they believe because they can't right. go full into saying hey, what they believe because I see what you mean. Yeah, the society yeah. isn't sort of ready for it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I it is interesting to use logic and to hit every corner of it. I think when I was reading it, I was having a similar thought to the reading from last week about, and I think we talked about this, about um, the uh, elegance of a solution. Mm-hmm. And uh, if a claim is sort of totalitarian, you don't actually need a hundred refutations. You only need one to refute the entire claim. Right. Right. And... Um, I think that there's power in resting on that. Mm-hmm. Like if some uh, if somebody yeah. makes a statement that says this is true always, all you need is one example of it not being true, right? And then their entire claim crumbles, right? Yeah, no, it's true. It is true. Uh, by the way, it's King James the second. I just want to have who got supplanted. Okay. <laughs> I just yeah, I was thinking Edward, but then it didn't seem right. Yeah, yeah, it, it would have. I mean, that wouldn't have been a bad choice. Edward or George or right. Andrew, Fredward, Arthur, Fredward, <laughs> um, Fredward. Uh, yeah, um, but yeah, no, I I agree. I mean, and again, this is sort of the. Whole, I mean, I brought up Goodell the last like three episodes, mm-hmm. but it's just we keep sort of coming back to this idea, and that's essentially what Goodell did is he found one paradox in the system and that, you know, it's a question though. This is a good question. 
actually, because you're saying that it, the whole thing crumbles. But I guess in some cases, you might say that even though Goodell found a paradox in the system, the logical system of math, mm-hmm. we're still able to use it for purposes right. that are useful. Mm-hmm. So maybe that's actually not always the case. In in the case, you know, you know what I mean? Well, I mean, my point is specifically with a totalitarian, right? With a point that is sort of universally true. Yeah, well, and, and Locke found more inconsistencies in the argument that just won, also. Right, right, right. I think I think that uh, what I'm saying is I think that there's power in just resting on um, the amount of work n- that you need to do. And it's it's sort of inefficient to overprove uh, a point. Hmm. And so, if somebody's point is it sometimes rains, that's a much harder thing to refute. Because then you need to prove that it never rains. But if somebody says it always rains, it's very easy to refute that because one example of rain makes it crumble. Is what I'm saying. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying maybe if. Uh Filmer had done a little bit like, you know, the uh, potentially divine right of kings. It would have been a harder <laughs> argument yeah. to refute. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love that. Yeah. yeah. I feel like this is, this is back to the point that we've been harping on about the importance of, uh, of knowing that you don't know. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. I feel like if people are making very strong claims right away, right. There's, a, there's a lot of reason to... To be suspicious. But on the other hand, making strong claims can be very honest because what you're doing is you're opening yourself up to the vulnerability of somebody proving you wrong more easily. Right. No, I, yes, that I definitely agree with. Uh, and, and yeah, and part of, part of that, though, is I, kind of what you're saying is, uh, I think kind of what you're saying is it's, it's hard to be 100% certain on anything. Right definitively because there's always room that you're just missing something and even just in a few generations people are going to come come by and and show how you know you're not quite right here right and Mm -hmm. uh but yeah i mean so ultimately i mean what did you think of the what did you think of the the treatise uh i mean i thought it was fine Mm -hmm. (laughs) i i think i think i generally agree with him that I yeah. don't agree in the divine right of kings. Yes, yes. But it, it's tough. I feel like it feels... Um, I'll put it this way. I can see why I couldn't find a whole lot of supplemental material on the first treatise. Yes. And it's all on the second treatise. Yep. And like every yeah. lecture yeah. I find, it's all talking right. about the second treatise. Because yeah. from my understanding, I haven't read either of them before, but the second one is really where you get into Locke's own ideas for what he wants. Exactly. For a government. Yeah. Versus yeah. 100 pages of him <laughs> refuting what some yeah. other guy thinks. And calling like this dude an it's idiot, It's a little basically. funny because it's it so funny. pointed at one it is, person. Exactly. <laughs> it's yeah, like no, he, he wrote this yes. whole thing just about this other guy's idea. <laughs> Well, yeah. Well, and again, it's because it's because that was like that was the big thing that he had to refute at that time. I mean, right. it wasn't as like kingship wasn't as laughable as it is now. It's right. like we we do we've come a long way 
But it used to be, yeah, people just took for granted the idea that, of course, you're going to have a king or right. queen. But, but Locke ruling. even suggests that the idea of the divine right of kings is fairly new. Um, Not that well, there haven't been kings, but that this particular argument about the divine right of kings, hmm. and that's where kings get their power, is right. something sort of recent. Yeah, and I wonder if that's because it's it's this idea that for whatever reason Europe was waking up, you know, mm-hmm. and it, hence the Enlightenment, right, and all that, and Renaissance, and starting to apply rationality to mm-hmm. a lot of these old things where people just didn't, there was no need for a rationalization of a right. king and queen back in the day. Mm-hmm. It was, but but certainly people like kings and queens have sort of always been using the narrative that they're like divinely inspired right. in some way. And in some cases, them literally saying they are God, right? I right. mean, this was in Japan just a hundred years ago, right? Right, right. So, so potentially I see what you're saying is that maybe it wasn't rationalized to the extent that it was at that time. Right. And, but certainly the idea that kings have some, kings and queens have some divine omnipotence Tensy and and right to their thrones uh, right. has existed forever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, but you're right. So, yeah, this treatise was not about really Locke's opinions. It was just him going. But he does actually talk about it a little bit in, right. in at least, uh, and and he sort of makes. He foreshadows the fact that he's going to talk about this. So I have it in, it's in the Monarchy by Inheritance. So it's chapter mm-hmm. nine. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, talks about the, in, so he's finally talking about his opinions. The ground then, I think, to be, well, but, uh, but where the practice is universal, it is reasonable to think the cause is natural. The ground then, I think, to be this. The first and strongest desire God planted in men and wrought into the very principles of their nature being that of self-preservation. That is the foundation of, the, of a right to the creatures for the particular support and use of each individual person himself. But next to this, God planted and men a strong desire also of propagating their kind and continuing themselves in their posterity. And this gives children a title to share in the property of their parents and a right to the, uh, inherent in possessions. But he sort of makes a clear point here because he's saying this is not the same as a right to inheritance of power. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's a big distinction. So he's sort of agreeing that there is some form of inheritance that is legitimate. Right. But you can't pass down power. Right. Um, and, and a lot of this goes back to that idea that, you know, because all men and women, you know, all humans are born free according to God's conception that they are, right. you know, that all the children of God are put on the earth to have dominion over the, the low, as they say, the lower creatures, mm-hmm. then by that rationale, in some sense, no, but everybody's a king and queen. Right. And, yes. That's um, what I thought too. Yeah. And, and thus you can't, you know, you can't supplant your will onto others if they're also a king or queen. Mm-hmm, um, right. and, and like I said, I already said that, but that's basically what you know his argument always came down to when he was refuting it. It was either that or the idea that, well, if there is just one, how do we know 
who the actual heir of Adam is and right. how do you even determine that? Is it the oldest? It was suggested there, you know, for a second, it would be the eldest, but then it's like, yeah, there's plenty of examples of where the eldest was supplanted by God themselves right. in the Bible mm-hmm. and, uh, and because of whatever. And right. then it became the youngest that was actually the one right. that, you know, inherited the kingship or queenship. Well, it's interesting because I think it's in the, the book of Luke that um, the they trace Jesus's lineage all the way to Adam. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Well, but then Jesus didn't have any kids. So, exactly. Oh, well. <laughs> well, we're all right. That's that's part of the that's part of the revolution of the story, right. um, which is interesting because all the lineage in the Bible is traced through fathers, and it's it's actually Joseph who's traced back to Adam, hmm. which is an interesting side point because Jesus, in theory, according to the story, was born through immaculate conception, so sort of not technically Joseph's kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. Anyway, um, so the it, yeah the idea of arguing about Adam is also funny to me, and I'm mm-hmm. I'm sort of interested in reading Phil at least some of Filmer's argument. Oh yeah, yeah. Because I didn't I didn't get a chance to read any of his other than the excerpts, obviously. right? Because yeah. that section of the Bible is so short and limited. I mean, it's not it's not highly detailed. It's like four or five chapters of Genesis even talk about Adam. Mm-hmm. And to build yeah. such a yeah. to build such a, a a strong theory like the divine right of kings and the idea that we're all born slaves because of this. Or all except the kings, I guess. Yeah, I mean that's why I was saying it, it comes from two. It's a it's the and I have this um highlighted somewhere in at the beginning of chapter seven, you know, he sort of fu- summarizes what Filmer's argument about Adam's monarchy. Mm-hmm. In the foregoing chapters, we have seen that what Adam's monarchy was. In our author's opinion, and upon that, what titles he founded it, the foundations which he lays the chief stress on as those from which he thinks he may best derive monarchical power to future princes are two, vis-a-vis fatherhood and property. Mm -hmm. So that's what I was saying earlier. And therefore, the way he proposes to remove the absurdities and inconveniences of the doctrine of natural freedom is to maintain the natural and private dominion of Adam. Right. Um, Yeah. So... So yeah, so I mean, uh, so yeah, it's it's the fact that Adam was the father, and so all fatherly, uh, you you know, you have to respect your mother and father. But right. you know, even Locke points this out. He sort of just glosses over the fact that the mother is mentioned in mm-hmm. that, and then also you have the idea that God uh, gave dominion to all of the animals and and plants and space mm-hmm. on earth to Adam yep. and Eve. But again, you know, Eve is just sort of forgotten here. And actually I was reading like there's uh, like feminists apparently really like this too. And I can understand mm-hmm. why, because he does kind of rip apart that. And even at one point saying, you know, when he's, when he's tearing up the fatherhood argument and bringing up all those inconsistencies, like what I've already said of the fact that, you know, it's not just honor thy father, it's honor thy father and mother mm-hmm. And he also 
talks about how I think Filmer at one point is saying, you know, the reason that fathers have this absolute authority is because they brought them into the world right. and, you know, they begot them. But then he's like, well, women in many right. cases did more of the begetting. Right. And, and also, you know, like this argument I think was given of like, you know, knowing, uh, like they have dominion over the children because they know their children. Mm-hmm. And it's like, well, how much do you, we actually know them? Like, do you know how to put together a child, even though you conceived one? Right. It's like, you don't actually know how any of the parts of a child right. work of a human, you know, even, even Locke. And this is the interesting thing I always like to remember is that Locke was a physician. Right. We don't remember mm-hmm. him as a physician, but he was trained as a physician. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he did actually have, you know, knowledge of anatomy and everything. Right. And, so he could put and, a child together from scratch. He could put a child <laughs> together. No, but he's also accepting his own limitations right. of like, I mean, none of us really understand how this thing works. Mm-hmm. So to, to claim dominion off of that basis is also sort of stupid. Right. So, yeah, yeah, it's funny because you're right. It's like he <laughs> he's very, well, first off, it's interesting how in some sense is readable but also not readable it is right. i mean it's it's an old text mm-hmm. but it's still like you can still get through it i mean what is it? it's over 400 years old right. uh or over 300 years old my apologies <laughs> math <laughs> <laughs> um, um and uh but but still i mean you know you can read it even though i guess the version that i read didn't do the weird what is it like S's were written as F's back in the day for some reason. Oh, in German. No, 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 in English too. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, like David Hartley Wait a minute. came. Like to- that's a real but then you're not reading like a modern copy. Yeah, oh, yeah, but that's oh, what I, see, I mean. I that's yeah, yeah. But I mean, you know, yes, but like the I have a David Hartley, who came two generations after Locke, I have one of his observations on, mm-hmm. you know, man, his frame and his expectations, and it's kind of difficult to read because of that. Oh, that's interesting. It, yeah, because he's not as, I mean, Locke is so famous right. that so many people have have done modern right, right. versions of his stuff, whereas people haven't for Hartley. If I ever had time, I would do one for David Hartley, nice. but... <laughs> I want to do an audiobook of David Hartley's uh-huh. thing too. I started that one oh, time, cool. but I never finished it. <laughs> There's only so much time in the yeah. day. But uh, but yeah, we should read that sometime. Sure. But um, but yeah, I don't know. I thought it was interesting though that he uh, it made me think how much better at logic I feel like they trained people back in the day too. Hmm. It's just the way that he goes about explaining things. It makes me feel like we really have lost a lot in terms of attention mm-hmm. too. People might say today that, you know, sentence structures are better because they're shorter and more concise, but you can also wonder, is it just that people had longer attention spans to be able to follow a larger train of thought? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe that was why the sentences were so long and also they were just smarter that you didn't have to be as direct in how you were talking. Right. Because, you know, they'll use like a lot of double negatives and stuff to explain things. But part of that makes me wonder if it wasn't just made the reading a little bit more interesting or it could have been that they were dumber, but I don't think that's the case because, I mean, Locke was a very intellectual person. 
So I don't know. I'm kind of yeah. just spouting out a lot of ideas here, but all of it's just to say that it is interesting to read these old texts because you just get an idea of how similar but also different their brains worked. And I already said this about Socrates too, but uh, you know, especially seeing it in the original tongue, mm-hmm. which we, you know, it was in English. So yes, you can kind of see how much English has changed. They use shown is spelled with. S H E W N and Shun exactly yeah. yeah. Um, so on that point though, do you think that do you think that logical arguments have gotten worse? Because part of me wonders if some of it has to do with the fact that writing is is so costly in terms of resources and time. And so you can't go back and forth uh, in, in Twitter comments or in Reddit comments. <laughs> and so you yeah. have to maybe make your argument as full and as bulletproof as you possibly can because you're not going to be able to just rewrite and rewrite and rewrite and revise and revise and revise because the process of getting writing, making writing available to anybody is extremely costly. And, and also, who's going to be reading it? That's the other thing I think about, about these texts. You know, we're talking 16, 1700s. This isn't the kind of thing where tons of people are going to have access to any of this stuff. Who is this for? Well, that was... Well, so your first question, I think that, yes, I think that while on average we're more educated than the average person mm-hmm. back then... Locke, like when you went and got a education at a university, which Locke did, you're going to get logic and rhetoric. Like those were classes Mm -hmm. everybody was taking. And I just feel like you do see that is like how he inverts arguments and stuff like Mm -hmm. that, where it's just not that people don't do that today, but it's just not like there was a... There was that idea. I mean, first mm-hmm. off, there was much less to read, so you could just go maybe deeper into stuff. Sorry, I'm messing with this because it keeps f- falling. Um, um, so there were f- there was less to right. read, and so probably just more, you know, logical lessons that you could run mm-hmm. um, potentially, but but also. Yeah, it's like everybody was running through a similar curriculum of that. And, you know, everybody was reading Plato's Republic mm-hmm. and probably all of Plato's stuff and all of Aristotle's right. stuff. And, and you know, um, so, I, yeah, I do kind of think that they were potentially better at logic. Right. Um, and, and for a similar reason, I've talked with a friend of mine about, like, how the Greeks were probably better at geometry than us because it's just you had less math to learn back mm-hmm. then, so you could kind of go deeper into all of these subjects. Right. Whereas now it's like we have to learn linear algebra, we have to learn calculus, we have to learn algebra, right. we have to learn trig. Uh, and it's just because of that, we all become a little bit less specialized mm-hmm. at all these things. And, and again, I felt that reading David Hartley too, and he was a mathematician or he was math. He was much more mathematically minded than many people, I think, of the time. But yeah, I just, I just think that it does feel like we've lost that a little bit from our curriculum of just teaching mm-hmm. logic. 
I don't, I don't know if I've ever gotten a class at, log, at just logic. Right. I mean, I've taken more classes than probably most yeah. people. I, I mean, they, they, they exist for sure. I remember who, who was, I think we had some friends when we were, when we were in college who were taking, you know, the basics of logic. I think most philosophy departments offer a sort of a track in logic. Right. But I guess it begs the question of whether that should be a general class everybody takes. And that's yeah, kind of my know. point is this was a class I think that everybody had to take. I, 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 every day. time I've looked into the curriculum of those classes, I don't understand them. I, right. They make no sense to it's me. because you're not logical. I, and maybe good. not. No. I don't know. It's very weird. <laughs> I'm just, I'm philosophy just departments, philosophy classes. My, uh, my younger brother was just in a philosophy class last semester. It was just, mm. it was really weird. Like they defined questions in a specific way and you had to ask questions, mm -hmm. but a whole bunch of things didn't count as questions. Mm. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and yeah, so, you know, obviously there's probably going to be aspects of that that I disagree with, but just the general idea of like, yeah, how do you structure a phrase? Because mm -hmm. uh, I guess that's what they're learning about is like structuring phrases and stuff like that. Right, right. Everything like that. I, and again, I, if you go to law school, you're going to get mm -hmm. that too, you know? Um, I think probably better but, in law school. Yeah, probably. But, you know, it just begs the question of whether that should be something more people get because it's like, it's clear this is what caused, mm -hmm. in my opinion, it's like that sort of learning is what caused all the mm -hmm. <laughs> all the re refutation of these sort of quote logical arguments for right. things in the church like the divine right of kings mm -hmm. and everything like that so is oh, sorry yeah no 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 I'm, um, I'm done yeah. so what I'm interested in is actually filmer um, and and uh, how it relates to sort of the experiences we've had talking on reddit with people but also a lot of, um, you know, like debates I've watched and things like that. I used to be in this whole rabbit hole of watching um, debates where, you know, like Christopher Hitchens versus like a rabbi or something mm -hmm. like that. Um, yeah, yeah. And there's a bunch of these Christian apologists. There's this whole movement of Christian apology, um, which is the idea of a rational argument for the resurrection, for the existence of Jesus, for the divinity of Jesus. And they even come up with equations like P minus one, blah, blah, blah. Some equation that proves that the resurrection is the most likely thing to have occurred with Jesus or something weird like that. Right. I'm not saying whether the equation is good or not. I have no idea. I just, uh, it's, it's an interesting move and... Um, what I'm wondering is what the what the appeal of an argument like the the divine right of kings, and then by extension, you know where where Locke starts with the idea that we are all born into slavery. It and the reason I'm asking this is this actually feels a lot like a lot of the arguments I've seen on Reddit, where like there has right. always been war there has always been the, these idea of these mm -hmm. these kind of negative things that we all think are bad and we all don't like are eternal right no i mean so you're saying why what why is the appeal why are people way? trying to make that argument i think it's the same idea that we've sort of gone on of just 
we are our minds are based off of our experiences so it's hard for us to conceptualize something outside of our experience mm-hmm. and and actually i i think this is a great point that you've made previously of like yeah people thought slavery was a absolute thing that was going to just happen as always right. happened until finally people decided okay we need right. to end it um and and yeah, I, I sort of think that that's probably the best example of why you shouldn't apply that to other things mm-hmm. like war. Um, so I agree with you in that sense. Um, but I think, it, yeah, it's just because we're, our minds function based off of experience. And if we can't see any examples of this, then it's hard for us to know. I mean, it's the same thing of like how you just... Somebody would have told you that you were fly- we would be flying in these steel contraptions right, 150 right. years ago, and people would have been like, yeah, okay, all right, you've been smoking a little too much opium <laughs> yeah, over yeah, there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's something to me really depressing about it, though, because there's a big difference in saying, it seems to me unlikely that we'll get to that point, than saying it's actually impossible and not only impossible but it is the way of nature as ordained by god mm-hmm. yeah. cuz if i said if you know if well, i said something like yeah. i don't i don't like how high taxes are and somebody was like well it's the way of nature as ordained by god that feels crazy right. to me and that's yeah. a little bit like what the well, the, the slavery right. idea is and i don't think that i don't imagine that filmer is arguing about slavery in exactly the same way that we're talking about it. Like, I don't, maybe you could have had a conversation well, with him where we're saying that a, a country yeah. might outlaw the practice of slavery as in the true ownership. I think that Locke put it, I don't know this, but I think Locke used the term slavery. I'm not sure Filmer did. Um, Locke conceptualized he quote his, him in there? Maybe not. It could. Um, but I know that certainly Locke is framing the argument in that setting of like what you're basically arguing for, Fillmore here, is that we're right. all slaves. That all government is absolute monarchy and that no man is born free. Is that, yeah, that's how it opens, but that's John Locke's. Uh, yes, but they're in quotes, so I don't know. There's no footnotes there. It's at the end of paragraph two of the first chapter. Yeah, uh, I'm not seeing it, but it's, I mean... I, I and then the, the end of the first chapter ends with, I think, is another quote of, of Filmer. Men are not born free and therefore could never have the liberty to choose either governors or forms of government. Right. Princes have their power absolute and by divine right, for slaves never could have right to uh, compact or consent. Yeah, okay. So you're right. Filmer uses that. Adam was an absolute monarch. Right. And so are all princes ever since. Right. Yeah, no, and and so I, I'm glad you brought all this up because this is another sort of important point that I wanted mm-hmm. to emphasize is how we have forgotten this, but it was very much, especially in America, we've forgotten this. It was very much just what people thought, right. again, that we were all slaves or serfs or whatever, but you know, the idea that, yeah, it's like, there's no way that you can move up in the social caste system. Right. It was much more fixed. And we talked about this with feudalism and everything. Mm -hmm. And it feels honestly like we're kind of going back to that in the U S um, even though we have this outward opinion that it, you know, 
there is social mobility and everything, but the church was like one of the few places where you could ascend. Right. And, you know, if, if you could read, you could become a priest mm-hmm. and then you could ascend in the, in the church hierarchy. And, uh, and that's an example of, again, getting back to David Hartley, this is how his family, and this is what you saw in England in like the 17th century is you had a lot of people from the urban mm-hmm. or rural parts of England moving into the cities and, you know, David Hartley's like grandfather or father became a priest and then, you know, right. he became a physician and then his son became a, a, a plenipotentiary and was mm-hmm. like actually uh, one of the people that negotiated the, the truce between America and England during right, the revolution. Right. And that's mm-hmm. three generations and it started with a priest, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think it, it's... I feel like that's a point that's worth harping on is like how, because again, it's obviously slavery now has become such a, well, first off, it's, it's, we just think of it under racial terms, Mm -hmm. but it, you know, and again, I mean, Europeans are, they did it under racial terms, but everybody was doing it under racial terms and it wasn't just a black or white thing. It was a white on white thing, a black on black thing, a brown on brown thing. And also it was a within the same nation you had mm-hmm. this idea that the rulers looked upon sort of the lower class as slaves it's like they, right. they didn't own property um and while they called them serfs and i guess you i don't know when the term serf came up mm-hmm. into the vernacular but certainly you know um it was thought that the dregs of society did not have the same rights as the upper class. Right. You know? mm-hmm. um, and yeah. And I, I think you see this thinking a little bit in the quote ruling class of today of like, you know, this, this patriarchal feeling mm-hmm. that the masses need to be led. And that if you have a certain income, it mm-hmm. is your sort of duty yes. to do the leading. I think you see this, more acutely in Europe than in the U.S. Yeah, but, but I, I I would say it's very live on the you know in the centers of power. And having lived in D.C. for three years, right. I definitely felt that. And I was hanging, you know, I wasn't hanging around with the politicians, but I was right. hanging around with the the people that clerked in the politicians' mm-hmm. offices. You know what I mean? Is the people that would be will be the politicians in sure f- fifteen years. And, uh, or at least, you know, the people on the staff, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, I mean, it's, it's very much a paternal aspect. I mean, I, I have family that. members in, uh, in the Netherlands and they talk about this, about how, you know, for instance, the, the conservative party just won in the Netherlands and a lot of it is young people and then working class people. Like there are the whole farmers protests and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And my family thinks the, the way that they see it is that it's a failure on their part to properly teach these sort of undereducated people the right yeah. way. Yeah. And, but yeah, then, and, and that's like yeah. everybody in that class, in yes. that, like all of the kind of like the, the middle class young people, the ones who are not mm-hmm. supporting this conservative party, come up and they do like UN classes and they all see themselves mm-hmm. as sort of like stewards of the yeah. world. Yeah. 
Yeah, I really hate that. Uh, <laughs> and I, I, yeah, because yeah, it's so infantilizing, and it's and it just right. It it also just removes the idea. I mean, so many people in our society are able to abstract themselves away from all the difficult things because they because of how specialized our right. society works and it's just like to say that you know everything because you went to and got a degree and again i'm saying this as somebody that is very educated you right. know this right? right it's like i would be in this class yeah, in many educated overeducated <laughs> certainly but for some reason i've always just had this this also i guess you could say blue collar aspect mm-hmm. maybe it was from working construction and stuff right. i don't know um but uh it's like I even feel this with myself. There's so many things I don't know about just like fixing a car. How do you grow food? Mm -hmm. It's like all of these things that we take for granted because other people are doing them. I was walking home just the other night and there was just this guy with a truck. I mean, this is getting very, sorry, platformy. So I apologize. I'll get off the soapbox in a second. (laughs) But I was just walking by this guy just vacuuming basically crap out of, you know, the uh, a hospital. Mm. It's like this person. It's like nobody thinks about this yep. job, but how essential is is the poopsmith? Right, basically, sure, sure. right, the modern day poopsmith. Yeah, um, I like how you're calling him a poopsmith. Well, that's <laughs> what they used to be called. <laughs> Didn't you ever watch Homestar? Runner? Oh my god, the poopsmith. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you watch that back? In the yeah, day? yeah, yeah. A couple. I didn't yeah. watch it that much, but yeah, a few. Trogdor. Yeah, I watched it a lot for some. The Burninator. Oh. Burninator, burtonating the the city and the animals. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So I mean, it's just all these things that they uh, many of them couldn't do too. It's like there's all these they're the thinking class mm-hmm. and not the doing class. You know what I mean? Right. And and again, I think about this with myself of like how many practical skills do I have? I can write mm-hmm. really well and stuff like that. Not really well, but you know, I can write well. Mm-hmm enough. <laughs> and, and, but I remember thinking this when I graduated from college, I was like, what can I actually do? Right. <laughs> <laughs> I legitimately thought yeah, that. I was no, like, it's a good thought. it's good. It's like, yeah, I don't know. Anyway. So I, I feel like there's not that much more to talk about this particular no, treatise, no, no, but not. I, yeah. it, another thought that I've been having the last few weeks as we've been reading mm-hmm. this philosophy, because if I'm being honest, I'm a little down on it. Um, uh, on what? Uh, on just on philosophy. No, just on on f- what philosophy is and what its utility is. Oh, I see. Um, I remember... Is, is enough- it because you got banned from our philosophy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm is like, that guys, why come on. <laughs> Let What's me the in the point? club. <laughs> yeah, no. yeah. <laughs> no, I don't care about that. Uh, no, um... I noticed you didn't post this last week. Yeah, that... But you were busy. I was just... You were busy. Yeah. I know. I'm joking. No, I uh, I, I got a I got a gig with. Um, yeah, that with, yeah. You told me. Oh, did I? Well, you told me you got like it's with that crew, right? Oh, I got another have, one with had, another big oh, okay. another big artist in town who who was just playing oh, like cool. the Moody Center and just playing a huge like U.S. Cellular Arena up in Dallas or whatever. It's just a duo gig, but I'm trying to learn. Oh, and you learn her set. You're wow, and you're playing. You played at the U.S. Cellular. Gig? No, 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 no. I, that's where she she played. She just opened up for oh, Shaky Graves up there. But uh, wow, it was a big awesome. it was a big thing. But anyway, so Shaky Graves played U.S. Cellular. Jesus, uh, wow. it was. Uh, I don't know if it was USA, but it was like a it was a big 
it was a big venue. Yeah, I, okay. I just meant that so, as a, as an example. I don't know if it was yeah. literally U.S. Cellular. Gotcha. I don't okay. know if U.S. Cellular exists anymore as a company. Yeah, I'm getting you off on all things though. So anyway, yeah, I was just so yeah, yeah. yeah. So no, I, did, I didn't post. I should have posted. About. I didn't. Uh, no, it's okay. It's well, okay. What am I doing? Uh, oh, we did okay. We did okay this week, even without it. Nice, so that was kind of nice, good. Nice. It seems like we're starting to get an ingrained audience right. that is listening. Didn't you stuff, say that nice. we had five million at one point? Yeah, I mean, now it's six. <laughs> what do you want from what me? Do I want. From you? <laughs> <laughs> I I remember that conversation. You were like five million. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah. so philosophy. So I remember uh, mm-hmm. a, a debate that I watched once between Lawrence Krauss and I think it was, I think it was uh, a Christian apologist. And Lawrence mm-hmm. Krauss said that the world has moved on from philosophy. So he he's a physicist, hmm. um, right. and it really has no use. Like science, modern science has taken the place of what philosophy used to be good for. And so there is really no place for philosophy in the modern world. Hmm. Um, And so we're reading all these old philosophical texts, which I think are interesting. But I do wonder what, how much value they have sometimes. I think it's always about perspective. Right. You know, that's my opinion, is it, it opens you to the perspective that there was a time when people thought that the idea that all kings are divinely inspired was sort of the normal belief. And it took a long time to get to this point where that's sort of a laughable idea. Right. And it sort of, in my estimation, reminds me at least that that's not a given we can easily go back to mm-hmm. that idea. And then more generally, this idea that philosophy is just, it's examining ideas abstractly, right. obviously, because ideas are sort of by definition abstract. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a good exercise in thinking. And ultimately, in my opinion, it's all getting at the basis of the mind, mm-hmm. which is why it's very fundamentally important because we still, even science hasn't sufficiently explained the mind, right. you know? Uh, and that's why, again, Locke is great because he also gets to this point right. is, you know, he, he has his, um, treatise about the mind and everything. And, and yeah, I think that's in my opinion, mm-hmm. the most important. Do you feel like there's a God of the gaps problem with philosophy in the mind though? Or do you know what the God of the gaps idea is? Uh, isn't it the idea that uh, basically every time you get to a leap, you just... Yeah, you say something like, you know, what, you, what makes the sun come up and down? That must be God. Until you God. have... A, yeah, exactly. And then once you have a science explanation for that, you no longer say that's God. You use the science explanation. Mm-hmm. But then God is the other thing that you don't know. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think all science has that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, then science has the um, cornerstone. And so it, we're looking for it to be science, but until it can be science, then it's philosophy. Hmm. Maybe, maybe. But again, is that a, is that a reason to throw it out? Because again, you could look at like a lot of theoretical physicists as being philosophers. Right. And I think many of them would sort of think of themselves as that. Mm-hmm. Um, and isn't Lawrence Krauss a, a theoretical I physicist, astrophysicist. I imagine? But I could be wrong. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I think he's 
this is not. I my thought is he's probably mostly. Are you going to slander? I think somebody? he's mostly like a personality. <laughs> like is. Yeah, yeah. Well, he was before the Me Too movement. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah, yeah he got, he got Me too Yeah. And honestly, I haven't seen him really yeah. around yep, since yep. then. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Because, yeah, I think, as I just said, metaphysics is, for me, sort of maybe the most fundamental of the physics and what it can give to mm. us. Uh, it can help us understand the mind more mm -hmm. and and then you know the idea that Socrates is sort of purporting of just the importance of doubting and and being critical of your ideas right. is another thing that we get from philosophy but i agree it's like in terms of how much well i don't know it's a good question because it seems like philosophers aren't really appreciated right. until like a few generations after they die also. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for all we know, the next Nietzsche is living right now or whatever, right. and we just aren't going to appreciate them until after we all die and somebody starts pouring over are the world. Are there 20th century philosophers you think that are important? And I don't mean important as in you and I think that they're good, have good thoughts, but sort of socially important today. Well, Foucault. Sure. Yeah, I mean, Foucault's very important. But nobody knows who he is. Foucault, I would say the average person doesn't know Foucault. No, but, but again, it's like that idea that if you read him mm -hmm. and then you read all of the, <laughs> to use a, a, the worst term, the woke yep. sort of ideology, I mean, I, you can see how a lot of it stems mm -hmm. from him and even from Nietzsche. Sure. In many ways, this deconstructionalist philosophy. Mm -hmm. Uh, so yeah, I think he was, and he was incredibly important in the intellectual circle, which then bled into the rest of the right. world. Uh, yeah. So him and Satra and all those right. people, mm -hmm. Heidegger, mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, yeah, so I, I think so. Um, more recent, I'm not sure. Cause that's the thing is I'm not like that up on the current philosophers, right. you know what I mean? Um, but I mean, I think people again, out there spreading yeah. ideas, making arguments and trying to refute arguments all kind of fit into the realm of philosophy. Like mm -hmm. I, I don't, I don't see him as having long-term, you know, some kind of lasting impact, but somebody like Jordan Peterson, I would say is Who, broadly Foucault? in this, in this realm. Hmm. Oh yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, honestly, yeah, that's a great point. I, to me, it's somebody making arguments and refuting arguments in some way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean that's that's a great point. Mm -hmm. Thank you. I mean, and that's maybe the that's maybe one of the great utilities of it because that's essentially what Locke right. was doing. Is he was like, okay, there's this crazy idea that people keep right. saying. Let me just write a treatise and refute it, and then also let me write the second treatise and tell you guys what I mm -hmm. actually think. Right. Um, which we'll read for the next I time. Have, I appreciate uh, that. Also, I'm excited to be reading somebody who is saying what they actually think. Well, actually, mm -hmm. Plato and Socrates is different. Socrates is just yes. the most annoying <laughs> character in the ever. <laughs> I love that you don't like Socrates. Yeah, yeah. that's funny. You, we should honestly read at some point then uh, when Nietzsche sort of digs in the right. Socrates and get your opinion on that. But we'll, we'll give Nietzsche a little break for a <laughs> while. <laughs> yeah. 
If we came back to yeah. Nietzsche, would, would it would, would you want to just like label it like six point four? <laughs> I was thinking that might might maybe, be a good way to maybe. organize. Yeah, I yeah, don't yeah. know. Anyway, it could be know. it could be fun anyway. to do that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway. But so so yeah. so philosophy. You, so I see people as not not even just Jordan Peterson, but any any in in the sphere in of sort of trying to trying to make arguments and and refute arguments about the nature of society and existence and all this stuff i think they they are within the realm of philosophy whether they have philosophy degrees or not um and that's more of a dig at the the philosophy degree folks um cuz i noticed that nobody with philosophy degrees is doing anything like that so well, that's not true. Um, well, I mean, because like Sam Harris, doesn't he have... Uh, a philosophy uh, degree? I think he has a degree in philosophy. He has a degree in neuroscience. Maybe, may, but he might have an undergrad in philosophy or yeah, theology maybe. or something. And then there's that other guy... Um, you know, one, one very, I think, quote, deadly mm-hmm. combo is the philosophy-math combination... Uh-huh. And I feel like there's that one guy, what's his name, James? James uh, Lindsay? I forget it. Does he have a yes. philosophy degree? Yes. I know he's a math He has degree. a math degree. Yeah, I felt like he might have had a philosophy degree, but maybe not. You know, yeah, He's a funny guy. <laughs> Douglas Murray, I guess I don't know if he has a philosophy degree either. Anyway, yeah, all these folks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Andrew, Andrew Sullivan, he might also have a philosophy Andrew degree. Andrew Sullivan, oh, the, the writer for The Atlantic? Uh, okay. Okay. <laughs> Well, I guess anybody with a PhD has a philosophy degree. Yeah. Um, okay. History. Okay, he has got a... Andrew Sullivan's got a degree in history. Nice. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe it's a fair point. Maybe. <laughs> maybe, maybe, maybe. It was, it was just a silly dig. It doesn't matter, actually. I, I don't think it matters. I still... I think you're just mad about the, our philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyway, so, um, my, where I get into is this, is this important and what's the utility is, I would say that you're right about the, the Socrates and the thing about the, the lesson to be learned from Socrates Mm -hmm. is the, the idea of doubting yourself, not being too sure of yourself, um, that no matter what you think, there are probably massive holes in it mm-hmm. that Socrates could certainly pull out in two seconds, kind <laughs> of a thing. Um, yeah. So having having that humility about your ideas, um, I think we talked about this before, and we and I alluded to it before. It's it's a lot of reading to do to come up with a a point that's you know eight words long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it's true. Um, yeah, although again, you know, I already made the point about it being an older language. Mm-hmm. People were just getting used to that sort of thing, and then also it's this idea that as soon as you start making ideas more efficient, you potentially mm-hmm. are losing out on discovering something new. And sure. I think this is the big thing. And I mean, even with Locke, you know, he it was a bit pedantic at times, and you're like, okay, basically, he's saying that you know we will never know who the heir to Adam is. So that's crazy. And also if we're all uh, God's children and given dominion, then, you know, how can you 
right. uh, have dominion over anybody else. You know, I feel like the heir to Adam thing is a mistake, though. This is where it's like, I think you can, it's a little bit like being a lawyer and you shouldn't ask questions that you don't know the answer to already. Yeah, yeah. Like it's a really dangerous thing to do yeah. if you're asking on the stand because yeah. you don't know what's going to happen. And so there, there is something to not taking an idea further. So it's more than just it's inefficient, but also you're opening yourself up to new lines of attack. So if your argument is that... Um, there isn't a divine right of kings because based on this Adam argument, at least, because Adam had no divine right over other people because every individual has their own divine right. He talks about humans as a species perhaps having divine right over uh, other creatures or something like that, but not Adam having divine right over all other humans. Then going down this other track of if Adam did have a divine right and that goes down through heirs, who is his heir? To me, you're opening yourself up for confusion and your point to be taken in the wrong direction. Yeah, but yes, I mean, and that's what happened. Because right? if your first thing, if you're saying, it's what I was saying before, if you're saying that this is wrong because of this, mm -hmm. and then you say, and even if this... Um, I understand why I, I kind of get rhetorically it can be really strong if oh. you have two home runs in a row. Oh, you're talking about why Locke, maybe Locke shouldn't have broken it down as much is what you're saying. Right, right. Like skip the air thing entirely because you're opening yourself up. It's To me, that, that, that point is not as much of a home run. The idea that even if there is an air, we could never know who it right. is. I think that's a home run because it's very true. Right. I mean, and, and I, I do disagree on this. Because a you're bit. opening yourself up to the idea that, that, uh, that sovereignty through uh, lineage is potentially reasonable. Well, he's saying, let me grant that to you and then show you why it's still stupid. Right. Which I think is very good. I mean, again, I actually, so I actually do kind of disagree with this because. Right. Yeah, I mean, you want to you want to show. I mean, if you're going to break down and show how, which is essentially what he's trying to do, is he's trying to eviscerate this argument, which mm -hmm. he does, and that's why he's right. going at it from so many different angles, right? Uh, in my opinion, and mm -hmm. and so in that sense, I think it is actually good because it's just. But what if he came? What if somebody comes back with an argument as to how somebody is an heir to Jesus? Well, like he goes, any any Christian is an heir to, to sure, Adam or something I mean, like that. I mean, he kind of goes through that. And so, so then Christians should have dominion. I mean, actually, this is, I don't know if this is the particular argument that was made, but the idea of Christendom, that Christians should have dominion over other groups of people uh, because of the heir granted well, to he doesn't because go, of the right. He doesn't go down that as much as he goes down with the idea of Jews having that. Right. But then, actually, to that point, he makes the point that kind of what, honestly, that uh, Rose Wilder Lane was making. It's like, mm -hmm. but there was also, like, a number of years where the Jews had no king. Yes, or queen. Yeah, yeah, he did that, yep, yep. Yeah, so, I mean, again, it's like, I think it's actually good because it, it's not like he just said this and then he only offered one refutation. He right. offered a bunch of different examples and he went through, like, the Tower of Babel. He went through Noah yep. right. explaining, like, how you 
can't actually know who the heir is. He mm-hmm. broke down the idea of the elder being mm-hmm. the heir. You know, he so he was very meticulous. I see what you're saying, though. I guess it's the it. It's if some future information comes out where you can know what the heir is. To, uh, it's a little bit like... Um, yeah, we find the body of Adam and, D- and Gina type him. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's like, uh, it's like people would say, you know, like the, the lockdowns for, the, for the, the pandemic. And there's this argument. You'd get into an argument about whether or not they would, they would work. Right. And then I think there's a separate argument as to whether or not you should do them, whether they work or not. Yeah, and well, the so, people who think that you shouldn't do them, whether they work or not, should not be arguing about whether they work. But I guess you that's could say, a bad idea. But I guess I guess the other alternative to this, though, is that maybe he was granting this argument because these are actual arguments people were making. Like right. Filmer, he was addressing actual arguments that Filmer was making. Mm-hmm. So he kind of was a okay. So all right, now let me grant you this aspect, right, and then show you why all the other sort of things that you were saying are wrong. Right. Um, you know, because, again, I, you know, I don't know. Uh, I see your point. I'm not saying, like, I do see your point that it opens you up. I mean, you're basically saying what we've kind of been discussing is that the more detailed you get, the more opened mm-hmm. to arguments yeah. you get. But... And he even writes that in his preface. He writes about yes. I'm not going to respond to you know like every argument right. and stuff. Yeah, he's not going to yeah. respond to every Twitter comment, but just right. the good ones. Yeah, which is good. He shouldn't read them. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I I see that point, but also I think that's a bit of a cop out because it's like I just this. think make the strongest version of your argument. Hmm. I guess that's yeah. that's the other side of what I'm saying, and I think actually yeah. the like in the Socrates examples, those were better because the people were trying to just to make a pretty distilled statement that they thought. I was don't true. know. I don't know because again, at the end of uh, Theotetus, they uh-huh. were breaking down in. They gave three versions of how. Um, what was it? What was the word? Logos essentially could be right. defined in all the three right. different. Uh, accounts, the three different mm-hmm. ways account could be defined. Right, but when he asks Theotetus, Theotetus tries to give a distill, just like a, a little answer. Mm-hmm. And but again, it doesn't, that, it doesn't work and it, it gets answer, all jumbled. Yes, but that's the point though, is in the little answer, there's ambiguities that need to be further addressed. Right. You know, um, yeah, because it's like you can say just whatever. Uh, I like what would be the simplified argument then? The simplified argument would be that we're all kings and thus you can't, right, kings and queens, and thus you can't uh, enslave any of them by the idea that God has given right, that, omnipotence. Right, that, that people are born and, free by, uh, because of the divine right given to each individual human by God. Uh, so like the, the opposite, I, I guess it's just the opposite of whatever the that initial statement it was. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. I guess he didn't really tackle the all government is absolute monarchy very hard. Or at least I didn't get to a part where he did. Well, I think he gets at that more in the second treatise, my understanding is, because that's where he's getting into the idea of the social contract and mm-hmm. um, and the idea that... Uh, right. 
Oh, no, he does. He does kind of talk about that. Okay. Because again, this is, it breaks down when you think of everybody as a king or queen, because right. then you have just a bunch of absolute monarchies. Mm-hmm. Yep. But I, I remember he also tackles the idea of absolute monarchy a little bit. That the idea of the, the absolute power um, is a bit of a, like a circular, there's a circular logic in the idea that kings are absolute monarchs. Right. Well, and again, there's a limit to sort of the fatherly power that anybody right. even has over their children. It's like he grants that they have some power, right. but it's not absolute right. even even there. And mm-hmm. I think he'll probably get into that more in the second treatise. Right. But Yes. Um, yeah. It was good, though. Yeah. Cool to read. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was it was repetitive, but you know. Yeah. I get it. Yeah. I get it. Yep. I mean, he was even tackling it from like the original Hebrew and stuff like uh-huh. that. You know. Yes. I mean, that was neat. I liked that section, talking about the different creatures, the different mm-hmm. classes of creature and stuff. Right. The fish. Yeah. The fish. Yep. Yeah. Nice. Cool. All right. Well, there we Nothing. go. One down. One to One go. One down. So. So I was gonna ask. So, so we'll try to do all the second because the second treatise is even longer. Because we could alternatively split it into two. Yeah, that could be a good idea. Why not? Because this is. I think it might be a good idea just because it is. You it's know, a, it's such an important text. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So let's. It see. better be good. That's all I have to say, <laughs> Mister Locke. Yeah. Um. Oh, he starts by talking about Adam some more. Great. <laughs> we could do like up to chapter nine. Maybe. Okay. All right. And yeah, then. I'll try. Yeah, that's about. The state <laughs> of nature. That's still about 100 pages. Yeah. All right. Cool. But, uh. Yeah, yeah, so he'll talk about that. Nothing to talk about Reddit, I guess. Fine. <laughs> Fine. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, what what should I have posted? The other thing is I, I sat down to post a couple times. I, I, sat, I was having a hard time thinking of anything that would gain I, me traction. I, yeah, I, I think it's actually like, very... Like, what is the nature of knowledge? Like, this was not going to go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. I think that <laughs> this was... Uh, the last one was a difficult one. This one, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think you'll have an easy time thinking of something for this one? I don't know. I kind of imagine everybody's going to argue for the divine right of kings. <laughs> you can be like, there's always been kings. They've been granted that power by God. Oh, Idiot. <laughs> this is actually one point that I kept thinking about Curtis Yarvin and how he's sort of like a new... Yeah. He's kind of arguing... He's not arguing for the divine right, right. of kings, but he kind of is. It's like, it's not like in, a, a postmodern version. Exactly. Because yep, he's yep. basically saying how it is kind of inevitable and this it's his best system and all this yep, stuff. Yep, yep. Uh, yeah, I, I kept thinking about him. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's funny. You did too, it sounds yep, like. Yeah. Yeah, that's funny. Yep. All right, well, that's yeah. it. Another episode done. Uh, yeah, it's good. All right. All right. All right. See Goodbye. Ya.